Are you ready to scale? Why not invest three minutes in our scalability index? It's quick, it's easy, and it's got specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. Hello, and welcome back to Genius at Scale. Today's guest is Mike Petrakis. Mike, introduce yourself to the crowd and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Mike Petrakis. I'm the founder and CEO at The Batch App. We are an app for bachelorette parties to plan a trip and book incredible experiences with friends. So first question, maybe not so related. How do I get invited? How do I get on to one the of party? Oh, okay. All right. The party has to like me. Gosh darn it. I'm out already. Uh, <laughs> so this is, what a clever idea. How did you come up with this idea? So... You know, I've been building companies, uh, a little bit about me, and I'll, I'll back up for a second. So yeah. I've been building companies since I was 19 years old. Um, I studied entrepreneurship back when it wasn't as much of a thing, you know, back in uh, 2009 to 2013 at University of Richmond. And I, you know, wanted to start with something basic. So I got into the apparel game and built two e-commerce businesses prior to Batch. And uh after graduating, moved to New York City, bootstrapped e these e-commerce companies. Uh, one was a vintage tennis brand that we we bought the IP to and relaunched. And the second was literally a Kickstarter launch um, that we built from the ground up uh, that was a men's apparel uh, performance company. So um, in 2018, I was looking around trying to think, hey, it's great to revenue fund companies and this is amazing work experience, but I want to build something more explosive. So I got into the this space because I was looking at this as an investor would saying group travel has never been solved from a technology perspective. And if you're going to solve this, then it makes a lot of sense to start with one vertical at a time. So we put uh, some numbers together and said, wow, people spend a lot of money on bachelor or bachelorette parties. They go to the same places and they do similar things, but the way that they find these things to do is a total nightmare. Um, and the way, and not to mention, the way that they plan these things and coordinate with friends is horrible, right? And I had just come off a uh, bachelor party that we could have put a little more planning work into in Montreal. So I was like, I like this. This could make a lot of sense, right? So um, we put together a wait list of like 50,000 people while we were building the MVP. Um, just to see if there was like real interest in a planning product where you could invite your friends, chat with them, put an itinerary together and split expenses. And we saw, you know, in 2020, in our first few months prior to COVID, um, we blew up. We got, we went from like zero to a hundred thousand users almost in three months. And, um, and that really helped us validate the idea behind this thing. Um, just simply that trying to wrangle you know, 10 people who a lot of times don't all know each other um, to figure out what to do, how much money you're willing to spend, what experience you're doing, where you're going. Um, you know, all of those logistics, I think we really were able to solve with one app. So that's how we started it. And then um, how we monetized it was the next part, which was in 2020, um, when COVID came along, we said, okay, uh, we got all this traction. We could shut down and call it a day, or we could double down on our investment. And so we said, people were logging all these amazing experiences, um, you know, putting together like 
finding these cool party buses in Nashville or, or a party boat in Miami or a brunch reservation in Vegas. And we said, let's make this into a marketplace to book these fun experiences. And that's how we'll make money. We'll take a percentage of every transaction from uh, the vendor. We won't charge anything in addition to the customer. We'll just aggregate all of this fun stuff to do that our, our frankly, our customers are finding for us, put it on our app, and that's how we'll monetize it. So um, 2021, we put together this marketplace and we focused uh, on three core cities, Nashville, Vegas, and Miami, and it did really well. And that's how we began our, our scale process from there. Well, so, so I, I, it's funny, I've got, I've got five daughters, but two of them will be, two of them are engaged. One's got a wedding date and the other one doesn't. So they'll have bachelorette parties. I'm taking, I, I take it that they have, you know, eight, whoever are going to go on the bachelorette party. And you can split expense. You can do all that stuff on your platform. So you don't have to, it's just one, one login for me as a guest. I say, Oh, thank God they're booking the flights. I just have to Venmo them my share. It's like that. Yeah. I mean, why would you have to use doodle Venmo splitwise, Google sheets, email to coordinate when you could just tie it together in one tool. Right. So the expenses is more X more as a ledger and you could click to yeah. like essentially like drive everything to Venmo to pay off your expenses. But everything else is a in-house custom built product that where you can plan everything seamlessly. Oh, that's good. It's, it sounds, it sounds great. Cause yeah, I know they, uh, my daughter's excited about it all, but she, you know, the hassle of organizing it and all the other stuff you got to do. She's, I guess it's supposed to be fun, but for some people that's not fun. It's the trip is fun, but the, you know, finding the last two people that still haven't paid you so you can book the flights and all that silly stuff. You just go, yeah, uh, it's all on there. Just have to go here. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Register yeah. and you're in and you got a seat on the bus. And if you don't, then you're not going. Yeah. <laughs> not everybody is type A. So this allows you a platform to get everybody on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I get how you monetize it. Um, how do you count or keep track of scale? Is it by revenue or by the number of trips or by the by the number of users? How do you how do you measure or define scale in this business? Right. So this is a two sided marketplace, right? So you have supply and demand, and it's just a matter of equilibrium on both sides, right? So um, for us, scale was defined on the demand side to start. Um, like we we just went under the impression that if you build the supply side first, like growth will be driven off of supply. So GMV or like bookings will be unlocked by having lots of awesome experiences for people to book. And then scale on the consumer side was um, for us initially defined as a network effect. We'd say, you know, if you download this app and you invite your friends, um, you know, on average, what's the average party size, right? And then how many people use this app once and then we'll invite, uh, we'll use this app again for the next party or for a birthday party or another bachelorette party to join it or be the maid of honor. So originally when we were just a planning product, we were just looking at like how many people were downloading this app to start one party and inviting their friends. And then of those people, whether you joined or you created a party, how many people then went on and created another party? What we defined as scale early on was of the 10 people in a party, oftentimes there would be at least one person that would have a 100% chance of joining or creating a different party in the next 12 months. 
And that to us was a really interesting tipping point in saying there's a network effect behind this and a virality factor. So that was really interesting to us very early on in 2021 um, to define, you know, what what would help scale this business on the consumer side. So so I get invited to whatever party or I'm a batch. I'm a I'm a bridesmaid. and I get uh, I get dragged along to a bachelor party or bachelorette party. I could then say, oh, my my spouse is having a 40th birthday. I want to do a party. Uh, I want to go to Napa with a dozen people and stay in a chateau. You could do that, even though it wasn't it didn't matter what the theme was. You could do it. Right. I uh, got it. Got it. Right. So, so how much so now people, is bachelorette parties and how much is everything else? So look, it's a pink app. It is a bachelorette driven app. It is called Batch B-A-C-H. We can talk about we're actually going to rebrand um for through a brand evolution in a couple months. But the idea is people are using a hammer to solve a wrench problem by saying, I want to use this for a birthday party. And they were just doing it. Like we just had yeah. a, a guy book a, a 40th birthday party. He he has a 40 seat, a 40 person hibachi chef dinner in Nashville in, in a few weeks from now. And that's a beautiful thing when you start to see that happening when the app is called Batch. It is a pink app that has four bachelorette parties. The prime use case is if you're going to Nashville, you want to book brunch, party buses, dinner, you can book it all there. But it is a beautiful thing for us. And speaking of like defining scale, when you see other forms of parties start to use your app. It's funny that you, um, why, how'd you decide on bachelorettes and not bachelors as well and do both sides of the coin and say, well, the guys are going to do a golf trip to wherever and, or strip clubs in Vegas. Um, how'd, how'd you decide on, uh, or, or pick that and stick with it? I did want to stay away from strip clubs and drugs. Um, and I still do, uh, for the most part, but that didn't really lead me into uh, why we stayed away from bachelors in the beginning. Honestly, it was just because bachelorettes were booming. Um, we bought the IP originally to a blog that was a bachelorette blog. And we started running Facebook ads against that to drive this like initial wait list. And the 50,000 people that joined were largely type A planners, you know, and I think we, the planning product that we built was perfect for that type A bachelorette party. Right. And then later on, as we launched Batch on Web, which is a web version of our marketplace, just if you, it's more transactional of a product, there's not as much planning requirements needed to use it. Then we see we've seen more bachelors start to use this and more like other use cases. Right. Yeah. So I'd say that the product was perfectly centered towards type A bachelorette parties. And then over time, as we launched our web product, there was a more transactional marketplace, just of like gen more fun experiences for any sort of group to book. Then we were seeing more party groups, more party types. No, I get it. I get it. So obviously, COVID was a turd in the punch bowl for everybody. For you, it must have been ridiculously exaggerated. How did you, I, you said a second ago you that you pivoted, but how did you guys make it through? You had just started. And then COVID hits and you say, eh, now we're, you know, nobody can go anywhere. How did you, how did you maneuver that? I mean, at the time we had just launched, so we were only a few people, right? So it was like, okay, first and foremost, it would be amazing if we don't have to fire everybody and call it a day, right? So let's, let's try to raise a little bit uh, of angel investment money to survive and 
paint a very clear strategic picture of what gets us to the next benchmark, which for us was um, going to be opening up this marketplace as a way to monetize the platform. So um, we just put together a very clear picture of, hey, in 2021, people are going to be really sick of this and they're going to want to party and have an amazing time with friends. And we can be at the forefront of having a marketplace to book all of these fun experiences when people can travel again. And it will, you know, show, we will be able to show incredible growth off the back of that. And at the time, we didn't know that COVID was going to extend into 2021, well into 2021. Yeah. But, um, you know, summer of 2021 was a boom for us. You know, and that was enough to raise our initial seed round um, from there. And then we were really off to the races ever since. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you're right. It's um, I, I mentioned I have five daughters. And so I, we did weddings pre-COVID and they're literally twice as expensive now a couple of years later because it just feels like everybody had to postpone. So all the demand for all the venues is way higher. And, and once you raise the price, nobody's lowered it. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that's interesting. Is it fair to say that it ended up being an unexpected advantage, or is that too is that too generous to COVID? No, I I think we did exercise a lot of foresight because again, like we had to raise money off of an idea at the time. So I I was also engaged at the time with a wedding that was set in 2020. I got married in September of 2021. So I was a perfect use case to say, I can't go on my bachelor party this year. There's a lot of people like me out there. There's 2.3 million weddings a year. So I bet 2021 is going to be double the amount of weddings because of yeah. like all the people that were playing for that year and this year combined. Right. Yeah, that's, that's great. So how do you, what do you optimize for then as a company? Do you optimize one thing for the whole company or do each do, do different teams or even different segments of the market? Do you optimize for different things? So first and foremost, we really wanted to provide a great experience for our customers to use our app and book our experiences, right? Yeah. So the first thing that took a lot of time and investment was integrations. So um, this was a project where for instance, we're we're syncing up all these fun experiences across the country. We have 2,000 experiences now. We have 25 cities. A lot of these businesses are mom and pop businesses, right? And and a lot of them use spreadsheets or phone calls to organize their bookings, right? So, and some of them have, you know, a variety. There's like five different booking platforms for the most part that they would use. So, you know, the first thing we had to do was just like, figure out what's going to provide a great experience for people to use the planning product, which we did in 2020 and 21. And then going 21 and 22 was integrations to, to really prove out the marketplace model, right. And scale it. Right. So once we pursue these integrations to provide daytime availability, people can book instantly. There's no back and forth about their orders. You don't have to have a giant uh, MX team. So, or a, a customer service team, so that was a very important piece to our scale journey was build the integrations that are required to enable bookings, right? So nobody so has was, to wait on the, the end first of the 800 step, line. Step. Nobody has to wait What's on that? the end of the 800 line to, to know that they're, they got the Airbnb they wanted or the bread or the cute, the cute quaint place on the coast in Oregon. You, you guys, right. you guys deal with all that hassle. Well, to be clear, so we don't, 
um, offer bookable accommodations at this point. We we said that's a crowded space and Airbnb is owning that space and that is great for them. Um, But party experiences, you know, that is for that that is a area and a vertical that we want to own completely and and because that has not been you know airbnb as experiences get your guide as experiences there's a number of platforms out there but there was no overall aggregator of party experiences that was taking all the integrations there's fair harbor peak solo there's a number of these businesses that enable these integrations and putting it into one platform so that's what cool. we really wanted to own that would enable scale for Bash. So um, one of the theories we have in scaling a company, two theories. One is that the risk profile of the CEO has to be suitable for scaling. Do you have a sense like if, if 10 is Elon and one is cash stuffed between the mattress or cash in the, in the basement freezer, where you sit on the risk uh, scale? That's the first question is, do you have a sense of that? Like if you had a number, what number would you be? Ah, here's our rule. Seven doesn't count. When you say cash stuffed in the freezer or something, I I would mention I am frugal. Like I am personally. Oh, no, no, no. It's not about money. It's about risk tolerance. Because you'll notice oh. the way you raise your kids, you can see right. risk tolerances in parenting. People, you know, helicopter parents have a really low risk profile. You go, yeah, they don't let their right. kid with uh further than three feet away you go that's a really right. low risk profile instead of saying let them right. get into a little trouble that's how they learn right i would say i'm in nine right now and i would say in five years from now i'm a four and i think it is for me a matter of my age does play an important role in this i started this business at 28 i could afford to take on as much risk as possible right having started some companies and recognizing like what it feels like to survive off of like relatively very little, right? My my wife, girlfriend at the time, we're, we were living in a studio in Brooklyn. I get it. I've been there, you know? So I think for me, um, I was in a place where I wanted to just go pedal the metal and take on full risk, like as much risk as possible. But I think as our kids get older, um, I will not I will not take as much risk. And hopefully I think we'll make Batch a huge awesome business by that point so that i could afford to just take less risk in the future that's interesting i'm, I'm curious to i'll be curious to see if that pans out i've i found that people don't <laughs> really, they have like an inherent risk profile but the, you may yeah. be that's uh uh it may be con, it may be contextual or uh temporal um so then the, the second question is um similar and that is the theory we have is that you can only scale a company at the pace that the CEO is scaling their own capability. Fair or no? Yeah, absolutely. So I where think, are you scaling now? I mean, well, like what areas are you scaling your own competence or capability to grow a business? That's like, a great question. For instance, you, you said this Airbnb guys. We actually worked with them early, early on. at 200 employees and every one of the 200 reported to at least one, if not two of the founders. So they, they each had like 75 direct reports. And you go, uh, and of course they went, they went, what happened was they jumped the pond to, to Europe. And the first person that booked it in Berlin, it went crazy. And then it went all over Europe and they didn't have any 
they didn't have any financial systems even to to bill in different currencies and all that. They were like way over there over their head. Their capability or their capacity was to say, We gotta figure this out. It's gonna be really hard. We're gonna you know, we're gonna we're gonna eat our own dog food and figure it out. And they did. because um, they, they, they scaled like that overnight because the market went ahead of them. Very unusual. Most companies that collapses them. They fail at that mm-hmm. point because the market gets way out in front of the CEO, especially if it goes viral. Right. I'm, I'm curious about that. I mean, um, I'm curious about where you're scaling like on purpose saying, you know, I have to learn this or I have to learn this or I'm working here or I'm pursuing this or I'm uh, what, what are you doing to scale your own capability? I'm, I'm curious uh, uh, what you do. I can give you a great recent example. So oh, my great. goal since, yeah, so my goal since day one has been empower those around me to be successful, right? So I think when we started Batch, it's like, how do I add value where necessary and get out of the way to let others who are way smarter than I am at their specific domain expertise be excellent in their own way and drive the company forward? So I think that that's something, that's like a motto in the back of my head that I've lived by because I I am not a Stanford MBA. I don't have like all the, I have started companies before, but I'm not some crazy genius. Right. And I'm very self-aware of that. Um, So I think enabling others or empowering others to be successful around me was a very important core value since day one. Um, The recent example of like how I've matured or how I think I've, I've taken on good like mentorship is we had a board meeting. on Wednesday, we just got back yesterday, uh, and we're talking about expanding this business into all sorts of parties, bachelor parties, girls trips, birthday trips, all this exciting stuff. I'm like, we're launching in October. We're doing an insurance product. We're doing deposit payments. We're gonna we're taking this thing to the moon. We're gonna go accommodations at some point, you know, in some of our core markets. Like, I have a big vision for this thing. I can't wait to see it through. And the board's like. You need to focus on launching the the and, brand evolution. And each, each one of those is a fire hose that you're shoving down the back of your throat. <laughs> you just yeah, you and, put four fire hoses in the back of your throat. Yeah, that, that's not well, a good idea. <laughs> they've recognized that the reason why we're probably successful thus far is because we did focus. Like we did right. build a travel tech company in COVID and we focused on launching a marketplace. Then we said, let's do three cities really well. We drove drove a really high conversion rate in those three cities. Our booking conversion rates are, are literally of all parties that are going to our marketplace cities is 12%. Meaning it's probably like six X higher than like other travel tech or OTA companies. Right. So um, I think the really important thing was like, let's focus on nailing this. And that opens up a, like we we see a lot of growth within the bachelorette space. And if we're going to take on any additional risk to say, hey, there's a great business to build if we just don't do anything, just do what you're doing and keep doing that. Um, and I'm saying, well, I want a multi-billion dollar company. I want to build this, like all these party types out and all these things. They're like, just focus on on doing that really well then in Q4. Um, and then we can discuss all of the stuff that you want to do thereafter. So I think having good mentorship of people who have been there, done that has been a really important role in making sure that I will check myself. No, it's, it's, it's actually a brilliant move because it's otherwise you're in charge of all of it. And how do you, how do you get past your blind spots? That's a tough yes. deal. 
and a board is yeah. usually a board's pretty ruthless about it, but it sounds like your board is just wise enough to say, no, 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 no. slow your roll. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, make, make sure you got this one nailed and then, yeah, then move on. Yeah. Well, and I think it was, it, it definitely speaks to them as great investors because a lot of times you see companies that just go into the ground because their their board's like scale like crazy, raise your B, raise your C. And, you know, you need to hit this like growth, like whatever growth metric. Right. And I do think that was a breakthrough moment for our board and my partner, Sarah, and I to say we are all aligned. And and the fact that they can exercise like patience to say, get this right. And then you have like unlimited upside if you launch it well is like a beautiful thing to us. Right. Right. And that'll only take you what, two quarters? It's gonna be a Q four play. So Oh yeah. One. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. You're right. It gives it gives intense focus for a short short period of time instead of saying, What I gotta wait to twenty twenty six? No, I d I don't want to wait that long. No. You're right. Get it get it right in in the next three months. That's that's good. No. Right. Well that's great. Um so I'm I'm curious Entrepreneurial journeys are are a special kind of story because it's it's the American dream, which is great. And you know, I, I see lots of posts online where it, it looks like a a Harvard Business School uh, business proposal. Everything goes like this: it's thirty percent quarter on quarter revenue growth, and everybody is a millionaire in three years. Of course, it never works that way. I'm curious. The biggest um, obviously, COVID was thrown at you. So that's a curveball, but what's the biggest self-inflicted or um, mis- mistake? You could call it whatever you want, but um, what I'm curious about is the biggest misstep that you actually did or your company actually did that turned out to be a great benefit for the learning that it provided. I don't want to sound ruthless when I say this, but... Yeah, um, you can be ruthless. First, that's a lot I, had, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I think when... Um, Culture has been very important to our company since day one. And I think you, when it's time to make decisions for people to move on from the company, it's, it's like you have to catch yourself and make the call at the time. And if you let it sit, then, you know, you could be doing the company harm in either performance oriented way or a cultural way. And I, I don't want to, there's, there's no specific case that comes to mind, but after talking to many founder friends about this, I know that that can really mess things up. So you, ha- you haven't had to, you haven't had to have the tough conversation with an early employee and say, we need a, we need a better player here. Yeah. You, we're cut. We're cut. I've had to have plenty of conversations over the years about such things. I also look, we, we started the business. I had two co-founders, uh, neither of which, you know, were with me past the first two years of founding the business. Um, and then my partner and COO ended up getting cancer, um, like in 2021. And then COVID happened, you know, in the middle of all of that. So I think between those three major events, you're like people are the like co-founders. Co-founder issues kill a business. Like like at a pre-seed stage, right? So that's that's one thing that you need to like be really upfront about, right? And I think that we were, and I think it was a happy ending for everybody at that that time. Um, And then I will also say that throughout the seed stage where it's super early, 
there's egos at play. There's people that want to try to do certain things, like try to take ownership of certain things that they may not be ready for. So I'd say like transparency really played a big role in, in weeding out some of the, like, uh, frankly, like bullshit that happens at the earliest stage in companies. Mm, that's interesting. So, um, uh, you've, you've done several companies and you, you know, you tossed your hat in the ring and like you say, you, you balls to the wall or whatever you want to call it. Um, two 24 year olds come to you and say, we're thinking of, of starting this. We'd like you to, we'd like your experience and some advice on whatever product. What advice do you give to uh, two young co-founders who want to launch something in this, in this market? It's a long ride and it'll require a hell of a lot of endurance. So I think that a big reason for survival with Batch that we were actually just talking about the board meeting is I was formerly a division one runner um, and I've like duked it out on in track and cross country. And I know that it's a brutal race and you have to run 70 miles a week to just even be able to compete at that level. Um, so I think a major thing for anybody that's really young is you're going to fail a lot and it's going to take double the money and double the time than you think it's going to if not more. So when we started Batch, I remember having all these goals in mind being like, yep, by by the time I'm 30 or 35, like this is a billion dollar play. It's like, no, come on, like, let's be real. And it's a long journey and it goes like that all the way up. We've been really fortunate to have a lot of growth over the past two or three years, but there's still times where you're like zigzagging on your way up. You know, my yeah. partner defines it really well as like, you have to get, um, you have to go through the windy path to get to the straight line. And I think that's a really good observation um, for early stage. No, that's great. That's great. Um, we have one fun question for all of our, our guests. If, uh, if we had a film crew follow you around in junior high school, seventh, eighth, eighth grade, and they did six months just documentary watching you like animals in the wild, would anyone have bet big on you as as a success, like taking a futures bet and said, you know what, bet on this, bet on this guy fifteen years from now. He's he's a, from what we can tell, him in in uh, his native environment as a seventh or eighth grader, with braces and pimples and all that stuff. He 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 looks like he'd be a he'd be a futures bet. Would they bet on you, or they'd bet on you in juvenile hall? Juvenile hall, probably. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think colleagues, juvenile hall. Uh, my mom would bet on me. Absolutely. And it's funny Everybody's because mom wants to bet on him though. Yeah. Totally. But I think in my eighth grade yearbook, I said I wanted to be a millionaire and run my own business by the time I'm 30. So I think oh, I was wow. very straightforward with conviction of what I wanted to be when I was older. Um, and I've had that in the back of my head for a long time. My parents knew that. Um, so I don't think any of like the ambition side of this has surprised them, but I definitely got in a hell of a lot of trouble and um, did a lot of dumb stuff really early on. And frankly, didn't get my act together until I was about a junior in high school. So I would say, yeah, I don't, I think that parents uh, large, like were my biggest supporters and still are. And I think that my friends probably have been a little bit surprised. So following question, you, uh, would you be where you are today without doing all the dumb stuff at that age? Because that's a perfect time to be an idiot. Because yeah, nobody's. I was very good at being an idiot. You really, don't people don't remember it when you're forty? But 
did that help you or had you been a goody two shoes, would you have not be, would you not be where you are today? I mean, it depends on how dumb we're talking. I have some things that I probably shouldn't mention publicly where I wouldn't nest that were on like entrepreneurial ventures in the wrong capacity. And I wouldn't recommend doing that, but I would say like, in terms of like, starting a t-shirt business or selling concert tickets. I literally sold water bottles like at stadium venues, you know, for fun with friends, like, like stuff like that. I, I definitely think would lead me into this. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I, I do believe a lot of those early on ventures as silly as they may have sounded. And I was very like, I, I just went against the norm. I grew up in an environment like in the Philly suburbs where everybody was a lo- like aspiring to become a lawyer or a doctor or something like that. And I right. was like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And, right. and so I, I think it was a little atypical in that sense. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Mike, thanks for your honesty and your, uh, your transparency. It's, uh, it's always fun to hear, hear where people came from. And I, I can tell you that you didn't do anything worse than a lot of it. We had, one of our guests is a publicly traded CEO. He was a drug dealer in seventh grade. Because he he had ADD, ADHD, and they didn't know what to do with him. So they just sent him outside. And he realized, you know, where, where all those kids went, the kids they didn't know what to do with, they hung out with the faculty and smoked dope, like behind the school. And he realized somebody's got to supply the dope. So he became the, the dope dealer to the faculty. And he, and he, oh realized, he, he realized, I'm a made guy. They can't ever rat me out. Because if the principal says, no, 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 I got it from Mike. He's my dealer. They're going... You're the adult here, you're more, and you're the principal. So he knew, <laughs> and he never ratted on anybody. He, had, he said, "I learned all that in seventh, in seventh grade. You had to, you had to, you had customers, and you had to take care of them. And you had, they had privacy." <laughs> I was like, really, in seventh grade, you do that? He said, yeah, I was clearing a ton of money. That's awesome. <laughs> I, a pivotal self-starter moment that I like to think about when I was thinking, "Oh, this is probably one of the shadier times." Was um, like my best bud and I lived in a like his dad bought us a, a boat it ate for eight hundred dollars that had no motor that had a little cabin in it with two right. cushions and we were lifeguards at the jersey shore and we lived in it and we had to figure out how to survive when we were doing that and you have, like, there no, are plenty no of opportunities stove, no refrigerator no nothing no no it was we lived like a bar, off Wawa. basically a barge like, with a little little cover over it yeah it was 20 it's 22 feet i re, i i remember that he would sleep in the front and I'd sleep in the little cushion thing in, in between. And, um, you know, that was, that was survival mode. Yeah. For, for a couple of weeks there. And it was literally just like, well, our parents were like renting out the shore house or whatever. And we were like, okay, great. This is what we're going to do. And it was kind of the teenage dream at the time. And your wife didn't go for that. You said, Hey hon, what do you, what do you say? It's only for a month, hon. What do you say? <laughs> yeah. I, would I do that for our kid? I, I don't know. I remember there was electricity wired into a microwave in that boat and it really freaked my mom out. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. that's what I recall. Yeah. yeah I, so I don't know imagine. if I would do that again. That's funny. That's funny. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on Genius at Scale. Uh, we really appreciate your wisdom, your insight, and your humor. Um, for For our guests, thank you for for viewing and we look forward to the next episode. All the best. Thanks for joining us today. Are you ready to scale? If so, invest three minutes in our scalability index. It's simple, easy, and gives specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. All the best.